Welcome to Who All Gonna Be There, a podcast by artists for artists. We talk cash about everything. Sometimes we get messy, and it all counts as art because we say so. I'm Mel. I'm a black woman, so you know they're never going to give me a break. So I've decided to take back my own self-imposed sabbatical. This week, I'm doing nothing. Yeah, what's up? Maximiliano here, um, co-broadcasting with Melanie Stevens, Nat Turner Project, Excited to get into it today. And um, the first item of business is how to support Nat Turner Project. Nat Turner Project has a Patreon page with exclusive podcast episodes, which are only available behind the paywall. So we get extra messy. Extra, extra. Buy, buy our stuff on Etsy, subscribe to us on iTunes, and leave a review, hopefully a good one, like the last person that commented on how great our voices were. Um, so be like that person and leave oh. a comment like that. Um, follow us on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Facebook, Instagram. Also, if you have an arts-related question, email us at natturnerproject0 at gmail.com, and we will read it on here and try to our best to answer it. Um, I would also like to add that we are all... We are also on Spotify, but they're real shady about um, music rights, so they have taken some of our episodes off, but we are on Spotify. Um, so today, we are really excited to have a special guest artist in the studio with us, Kiara Walls. Hi, Kiara. Hello. <laughs> um, Kiara Walls is a social practice artist, educator, and dean residing in Portland, Oregon. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Graphic Design from California State University of Northridge and a Master's of Fine Arts in Art and Social Practice from Portland State University. Walls's work explores the layers of black sovereignty through creating conversations, film, and site-specific installations. Her practice often involves community engagement and collaboration, inviting participants to join in the creation of the work. Walls seeks to engage in dialogue and reflection on themes relating to trauma, identity, healing, and intimacy. 
In her project, the Black Box Experience series, Walls invites audiences to join the conversation around what would reparations look like today through stepping into an experience other than their own. Walls has completed residencies at Otis College of Art and Design in Los Angeles, California, and Sunset Art Studios in Dallas, Texas. She was awarded the Portland Institute for Contemporary Art Precipice Grant for her collaborative project, Kitchen, which explores the relationship between hair and intimacy while centering the experiences of black clientele and natural hair practitioners. Walls seeks to challenge and disrupt systems of power and oppression while empowering and elevating the voices of marginalized communities. Welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Of course. So we're gonna start by asking you the question that we have asked every artist who has, you know, um, ha uh, done the honor of joining us um, since March of 2020. Um, how are you doing right now? Um, I'm doing good. Um, I'm feeling really good. I am really enjoying the sun right now mm -hmm. in summer and summer vibes. Um, I saw somewhere on Instagram, I think it was a meme, it said, this summer feels like summer 2016. Oh. And I'm like, I don't know what happened in 2016, but it feels like it might have been a good year. So, yeah, I've just been kind of vibing out to that. Yeah. Yeah. You literally have rose-colored glasses. This is true. <laughs> yes, this is very true. Um, what is giving you joy right now? Hmm. I think um, hanging out with my community and um, just having a really good time sharing space, meeting new people. I don't know, just being outside, like being outside feels really good um, and slowing down. So I think just really enjoying my time. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, you mentioned summer vibes. I'm curious about like what are some of the summer vibes and um, going back to your earlier statement about it feeling like summer 2016. Um, I remember summer 2016 was when... Um, Drake and uh, Meek Mill were having their beef, and then that's when uh, Back to Back came out. <laughs> I mean, the the tag is all summer 16. So. Oh, dang. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, <laughs> I think Summer Vibes is going out and listening to music and being in the park hanging out with my dog who mm -hmm. I call my son all the time even though he's a little he's a little bad but <laughs> <laughs> this is a picture of him too he's like oh oh I'm so sorry oh oh thank you his name is Hans um Hans yeah he uh he's a character for sure um but yeah I think like Last summer, um, I don't know. Last summer was definitely not as fun as this summer. Yeah. And I think that's just because I feel more settled in now into the city. And I kind of know, like, where to go. And, like, just, I don't know. It feels more of a vibe, like mm -hmm. an overall vibe. I'm like, okay, like, I can, I can do this. Yeah. yeah. Did you, like, do any 4th of July stuff or check out fireworks? So I did go to the Juneteenth after party, oh. and 
I don't celebrate the 4th of July. <laughs> I just called it like the Juneteenth after party. Um, and I also got that from a meme as well. That's where I get most of my like, yeah. Anyways, um, <laughs> I went out and I, oh, I did like a impromptu barbecue with my friends. And like, I've never thrown anything on the grill before. And that was cool. Like, it actually came out good. Oh. We just put it in foil and then put it on the fire and then it cooked. And I was like. <laughs> Found your inner grill master. You know, nice. like, someone asked me, they were like, did you have the open toe sandals? I was, I was like, about I did. to, you have to go out and buy them now. So. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly, I was the only one wearing the open toe. And I was like, <laughs> and my food came out pretty good. Too. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, did y'all do anything for for the fourth or weekend? Um, I went to see a movie that not at all related to anything. But when I was driving on the highway, I did see fireworks. So nice. that counts for something. Nice, nice. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I didn't do anything for the 4th of July. Um, I'm in the process of moving, so I was doing some moving stuff. Mm. Um, when you first mentioned the Juneteenth after party, I thought there was, like, an after party on Juneteenth that I didn't know about, and I was, like, momentarily (laughs) upset, but now I understand you mean 4th of July. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 I, I saw that, um, on, on a meme, and I was like, oh, that's really clever, like, that's, I mean, technically, I don't know, it makes sense. Um, and I liked it. I was like, okay, because we're not really s- well. That's all I gotta say about that. But yeah, yeah, I'm totally gonna borrow that from now on. Juneteenth after party. Oh, for sure, <laughs> definitely. Um, I'm curious about like how you first got into art, or like what's your art origin story? Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> the first story that comes to mind is um when I was a little kid in elementary school, I used to draw a lot and I would draw a lot of portraits and yeah, it would basically be people with apple shaped heads and then the (laughs) stem would be their hair. And at the time I didn't really know about proportions. So I was like, this is, you know, this is what it is. Um, but yeah, I drew a lot when I was a kid and then, um, I, Hmm. I kind of didn't really lean too much into it when I got to, I want to say middle and high school. And then I, when I got to undergrad, I thought that I wanted to be a nurse. So I ended up, yeah, it was like, but I think I was also in the space of, oh, like, you know, as a black young woman like I should be a nurse or I should like go into the medical field because that's where like you know the money is Mm -hmm. and it's a safe bet all of these things and at first I was like okay well let me try to do this but I was like not good at math at all or (laughs) science (laughs) and I ended up um majoring in biology my first year and then the following year um I only had math and science classes so I basically failed everything and then I was like this close to getting kicked out of uh undergrad and they have this thing called um when your GPA gets so low they stomp you out so I was like what now that I say that 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 sounds real that is terrible (laughs) you get stomped out (laughs) oh my god 
And um, <laughs> I don't know why they that called that. That is not that. okay. I don't know why they called that. Why they called it that? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get stomped out, though. <laughs> Thankfully. I think once I heard that, I was like, oh, I don't want that to happen to me. Like, let me, like, get my stuff together. Um, so I ended up switching my major to fashion merchandising for, like, a week. Mm. And then I switched it to graphic design. <laughs> and after I switched it to graphic design, I ended up um, getting on the dean's list and pulling my GPA like all the way up because I was taking only art classes. Wow. So I think that was like my like moment of like, okay, this is where I need to be. This is where I feel like I can see myself growing and there's potential. Um, and then, yeah, I think after that happened, I really started to lean more into creating work and I, yeah, just started to do more illustration, more painting. Um, and that's kind of like my start. Like, I think after that whole stomp out situation, I was like, yeah, I think I need to do something I'm good at or something that I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, I think also, too, when I was creating work, I was thinking a lot about, um, like, my relationship to trauma and then down the line I um started to think more about what does that look like in a communal sense like to get outside of myself and how can I create work that explores that like within the communities that I'm in mm -hmm. um and yeah so it's been an interesting it's been a really interesting and fulfilling like journey as I explore that um and yeah I feel like that was like long-winded no not at all <laughs> I want to go back to something you said because I completely relate to, to this as someone who burned out in undergrad because they tried to do a thing that wasn't natural. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, said, you mentioned that as, like as a black woman, you felt pressure to go into something that would make you money. Yeah. Um, where do you think that pressure was coming from? Was it internalized or was it coming from like your family or like the community? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely... <clears throat> um, my family and also the community because I grew up in Los Angeles and I feel like growing up in a, growing up in LA it's a very fast city to mm -hmm. live in and people are always like go 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 like what's your next business what's your next like you know and I think um growing up in that culture I definitely felt pressured to have to keep up or like have to like make a certain certain amount but I think also too like to to live because at that time too I thought I was going to be living in Los Angeles but yeah I'm glad I, I don't <laughs> um yeah and I think like it's interesting too because I I don't really have a lot of like doctors or nurses in my family either mm -hmm. so I'm kind of like thinking about it like hmm no one really went into that but that's okay because everyone is okay like I think like um you know I definitely think my family just wanted the best situation and they were also thinking like this is like the only like path because we don't really have artists in my family I think I'm the only artist oh wow yeah um yeah so you're kind of forging a new path yeah, trying, you know, just trying to figure it out. And, you know, I think I feel really good about that, too. I, I think my family <clears throat> didn't really understand what I was doing at first. And I think, like, uh, 
after they went to my graduation and like they saw my graduate talk they were like oh, okay this is what Kira is doing like this is like you know we're making the connections um which is nice because I I think now they're able to see like you know it is okay to go a different path than what you think you should do and you can find resources and find different ways of working that don't require something that you're not really passionate about like and I think um I feel really blessed to be able to explore that like in my capacity um because I I honestly didn't always think that that was a, a possible thing yeah yeah Yeah, it's interesting because, like, I don't think that black kids are encouraged to go into the arts, like, especially not the visual arts, because there's there's the myth of the starving artist, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think, um, <clears throat> speaking of the myth, I think now we live in a time where it's like, you don't have to, I mean, you don't have to starve as an artist. No. I, I think, I just think there are a lot of resources out now than they were like when I was coming up and I don't know that's a generalization I don't know that for a fact but (laughs) that's just like a thought um yeah but I I think within schools too like there's not a lot of um CTE pathways Mm. and I think like when we see students that aren't doing that well like in math or in science like they kind of get like a I don't know, like a, a perception about them of not being able to meet this expectation, yeah. but it's kind of like, maybe that's just not the expectation that they need to meet. Yeah. And maybe they're more of like a technical skill or like trade school or some, like something else that involves like more hands-on or like more creative thinking or critical thinking around creativity. Yeah. Um, so Yeah. Um, you spoke a little bit about, uh, you know, living and working in California. I'm curious, yeah, about, uh, the work you did in California and Texas and how that's like informing the stuff you did now. Um, when I was in California, I was doing a lot of work centered around this, um, theme of the evolution of self. And this is when I was creating a lot of illustrations, um, of a black woman um, that had, had like her arm cut off. I'm gonna show you a picture because it sounds a little bit more gruesome than it actually is. Um, and essentially, this was kind of like a I don't know if I would say alter ego, but I think a, a variation of myself. And <clears throat> I drew this black woman just like doing different things and I think um it was a way for me to process like just trauma and just different thoughts that I was having during that time and I think when I moved to Texas that's when I started to think more of it as how does trauma affect other people outside of myself and how can I learn about their trauma Mm. in a way that feels like respectful and I don't want to say inviting but like genuine Um, 
and yeah when i when i got to texas i um i feel like there's a lot of layers to this too um i was an art teacher like my my first job out of um undergrad i was an after school art teacher and then i ended up um transitioning out of that job and i got a job as a substitute art teacher in dallas texas at south oak cliff high school and then from there i went on to a charter school and um around this time i started my project the black box experience which i was able to um i guess realize at otis college of art and design their summer residency and that's when i started thinking about trauma and reparations Mm. and what would that look like and through conversations with a mentor through that program Clayton Campbell then also my other mentor Dr. Horn he was um, the department chair at Cal State Northridge yeah Cal State Northridge Um, it was just a lot of thinking around like how do you start a conversation about something that's affecting the community that maybe hasn't been started before, or maybe you're continuing in conversation. And reparations is something that came up. And <clears throat> I was really interested to know, like, what is, like, what would that look like? And how can we explore the trauma to inform what that can be for different people? Um, and I think after the first installation, it kind of became clear that it was more of like a spectrum. Like reparations is not just like a monetary value. It can be many things. It just depends on your experience and what you need. Um, and I think, <clears throat> yes, yeah, the difference from LA to Texas, like it was more of a expansion around how is this not only affecting me, but the people around me? And then what is it that they're needing from repair? and healing and yeah yeah do you i'm curious because like texas and and la are two very different places and i'm wondering did you find that like oh Oh, that's the what medium is this uh it's screen printed okay two color thank you um do you feel that the responses um and the reactions to this kind of trauma-informed um, research um, differed from place to place. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, <clears throat> the I think in Los Angeles um, that was like the first time asking the question, and I think hmm, I don't know. I I think from my from my understanding, it felt like a lot of the questions were like very across the board in terms of what it could look like. And then I think when it was in Texas, it was very, um, it felt like there was more of like a theme around it, around like reclaiming and power shifts and like it it felt like it was more pointed um in in los angeles it felt like it was just like not like the safe answer but it just felt like more of like a community centers or Mm, broader yeah it was it was more broader um Mm. but in texas it definitely felt like it was a little bit more like okay this feels very specific like there was like 
directions, like kind of what this could look like. And I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it, it also made sense too, because I think with the black box project, um, the audience, it's not always just BIPOC individuals. It's, it's a lot of different people. And I think in Los Angeles, within the context of Otis and where it's located in Los Angeles, it's, um, it's like by, <coughs> not Dockweiler Beach, but it's in this uh, place called Westchester. And Westchester is like a predominantly like white area. So it's, it's not too many yeah, it's not as diverse. It's former IBM Aerospace Headquarters, apparently. Oh, Otis? Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, so I, I think, uh, yeah, within Texas, I feel like it was it was in South Oak Cliff, which is like a historical uh, BIPOC community in Dallas. Mm. And it was kind of right in the center of that, too. So it was definitely a lot more BIPOC voices adding to the conversation. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> that that's very <laughs> diplomatic. <laughs> I'm curious about like some of your thoughts around some of these like current um, reparation um, initiatives, like especially by like different cities in California where they've like taken upon themselves to start like giving Black people money. Um, how do you like feel like about that, and like how does that? factor into like a more like nationwide or like global reparations yeah i mean i think like yeah reparations is a spectrum so i think as long as there move there is movement towards um some type of compensation whether that is monetary or like resources <clears throat> or um space or respect or whatever it may be like I I think it's okay. Mm. I mean, I, I also think, too, um, I think <clears throat> when I think of, um, like, I don't know how I want to say this. I feel like I've said this before. I don't know why it's, like, missing me. Um, okay, like, when I think of change, too, or movement, I also think of it being a spectrum as well like so on like the national level you know we haven't had that much movement in terms of like reparations or acknowledgement around that but I think on a communal level like in micro communities there has been some shifts and there has been some motion with that um and I think motion is good if it's in line with the community and what their wants and needs are I don't know if it's like the best thing to just like give a check I mean money is always nice but <laughs> I kind of feel like um I don't know there is also something about like just getting a payoff too when it's like you know I mean money is nice it is but it may not always be like it's not the only thing it's not the only thing and it may not be as genuine too like and it's often not long term money yeah. isn't long term yeah it's not like a um what was those things that they were giving out during COVID? The COVID mutual uh, aid stuff? No, they were giving like checks. Stimulus checks. We did that. That's Stim- what the project did. No, that. the government was oh, giving out the stimulus checks. Oh, the stimulus no. checks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean the same thing though. Like, yeah, same, same. Yeah. Us in the U.S. government. What did you think of? What did you think of the stimulus checks? 
I'm not even gonna lie. I I did cash them. It was not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes. You know, it was it was. I definitely benefited from a couple of those. Um, and you know, yeah. I think reparations is like um. <clears throat> I think before when I first started the project, I was like very like optimistic mm-hmm. about like, oh, we're going to get reparations one day. Like this is a conversation that has happened for a long time. And like oh. there, I was very like I was a little delulu. What year was this? I want to say this was in 2018. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I was I used to be a very like hyper optimistic person. Mm-hmm. I think I've toned down a lot since then. Um, but in that period of time, I was very, like, when I first started the project, I was like, yeah, like, the, you know, now I'm kind of like, okay, like, actually, I don't know if that's going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah. And I'm okay with that, too, but though. do you still believe it'll happen? Mm. I mean, <clears throat> I think it's happening right now, like, on the micro level. Yeah. Like, on the macro level from the government? I don't know about that. But, I mean, we've seen other countries, um, other regions do this. Like, it is something that is possible. It's just America hasn't done it. And I don't know why. Like, I'm just like, I, I've seen it for others. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen what you've done for others. Like, and reparations, like you said, it doesn't just include money. It, it it also is about, like, economic reform. It's about, like, educational reform. Mm-hmm. Um, and in light of that, I'm just curious. I've been excited to ask you this all day. Um, yeah. like, like, in light of, like, your research about reparations and reparative measures and responses to ongoing anti-blackness, um, how do you feel about the recent Supreme Court ruling eliminating affirmative action, which I consider a form of reparations. And as I am also someone who has benefited from affirmative action having attended an Ivy League um, university as a black woman, so. Period. Um, <laughs> so. I, I don't agree with it at all. I mean, I think it's like, why now? Mm-hmm. Like, Do you think it's um, indicative of a trend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I think also too, like they're trying to <clears throat> ban critical race theory. Yes, they you are know. banning it, and I think it's happened in Texas, and they're mm-hmm. trying it in other. I think Florida, yeah. Florida too, right? Um, so no, I mean, unfortunately, yeah, I'm not surprised mm-hmm. because I do feel like there have been so many things that have come up and been passed, and I really don't understand like i mean i feel like on some level i i get why they're doing it but at the same time i'm just kind of like i just that's yeah that's disappointing and i think i also read somewhere too like the person that was or one person that's supporting it also benefited from affirmative action like yeah and i'm just like wow like what is going on i have some theories but <laughs> that being said, like you mentioned these kind of like local community movements, grassroots movements. Do you feel like maybe this is the time for those to like kind of step in and do the work? And do you think that's possible? Like to like 
as some sort of like critical mass and a groundswell, like to mm -hmm. basically do the work that the government clearly can't in terms of reparations. Do you think it's possible? Yeah. I definitely think it's possible. And I think um, <clears throat> being in different um, communities, like from Dallas, Texas to Portland, Oregon, I mean, even seeing what's happening in Los Angeles, I do feel like there has been a shift that has been happening centered around empowerment and healing and I think being able to rely on those in your community um even having like a I don't know a different way in like exchanging resources with each other or information or it just it feels like it's more accessible like I feel like more people are raising their awareness around how they can cultivate mm -hmm. resources in their community through collaboration. Um, and I definitely think that that is something that's possible. And I do think that's something that's happening. Um, and I feel really good about the direction that it's going in. Like, I don't know, it just, it feels more like, I don't know, it feels more intentional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one of my, like, concerns with, um, these, like, smaller entities or grassroots movements, um, trying to, like, um, enact some form of, like, reparations is I feel like it waters down the, the reparations from the government or, like, gives them, like, excuses to not do it, being like, oh, it's already been happening, or it's like, when you do get a check cut, it'll be, like, a smaller amount because of, like, all these other endeavors that have happened, or, like, they'll use that as an excuse. I mean, that's what like, happened with the Voting Rights Act. Like, that's that was their excuse for completely trashing the Voting Rights Act, is that, you know, it's all been taken care of. It's all been handled um, locally and regionally, so we don't have to have this in place anymore. Yeah, that's, that's like, something I fear about it and like with I, I just like with people taking the initiative on themselves and it's like oh the government's like oh well it's not a government issue this doesn't need to be a thing when it's really we're like we're just waiting for the second half of payments because the government has already you know uh paid back the slave owners you know hundreds of years mm -hmm. ago mm -hmm. um but so it's not like the reparations have never happened it's just the other part of reparations that are still like waiting to be happened which I feel like is going to, like, I don't know, the watering down will happen. But do you think there's any circumstance under which they will ever even assume that responsibility? Like, they're always going to be looking for reasons not to do it. And they're always going to find them. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I, if it, like, if it could happen. Um, maybe, you know, I would think that, like, maybe there would have been some avenue through, like, legal or, like, court means, maybe in a different iteration of the world. Um... Because I feel like sometimes where it is, like, those, like, weird um, caveats or, like, snafus that, like, end up becoming this thing. is like, oh, now here's this, like, massive, like, payout or something. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I don't, like, I don't, like, hold much hope for it. But I do wonder, like, if, like, my hope feels sometimes lessened by, like, all these these other gestures by it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I definitely understand um, <clears throat> understand where you're coming from. And I think also, too, a thought that comes to mind is, what do you do in the meantime when we're waiting on this? Like, I think um, there's a lot of power in being able to 
figure it out in with your community and not have to like um it's and i think also too like unfortunately it also presents like lack of accountability in the long term if they do end up thinking like oh okay like they're doing it themselves we don't have to like intervene but i think like the more that we um lean more towards like the possibilities with no guarantee it's kind of like in the in-between space could we have been able to do this ourselves or create like some type of like i don't know something to accommodate for this time if that makes sense yeah um, and that just makes me think about like the macro and the micro shifts that are happening. Um, I don't know. Did y'all know that there's a National Reparations Day? I did not know that. What is that? Yeah. Um, let me see. Let me double check. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I participated in it. Um, it was, I want to say it was in February. You missed it. Oh, no. Yeah, I think. I don't Is know it during Black History Month? I think so. Hold on. Let me let me actually get this right. Because um, now I'm thinking, was it May? National Operations Day. I didn't know about it until my um, professor told me about it. And... February 25th. Yes marks 18 years of celebrating National Operations Awareness Day. Um, yeah. It's only 18 years old. I know, but they've been talking about this since, like, forever ago, too. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I would hope that as long as it's been talked about and people have been advoc- advocating for it, um, it will one day happen, but I don't know. I also think we can, you know... One thing I'm always I've always been curious about with reparations is like isn't it really difficult to to think about or offer reparations for something that is currently still ongoing? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like yeah. With certain things that have gotten reparations in other parts of the world, like there was a start date and an end date. But, like, the things that we need reparations for are still happening. They're still occurring in real time. So, mm-hmm. like, how do you parse that out? Like, how do you begin to do a metric for it? I don't know. You just start with a number. You get an account and you start with a number. <laughs> Period. No, I feel that. Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I mean, I think that's, like... I have not thought about it in that way before too um but it is an ongoing thing but i think like what would reparations look like to y'all today like just for yourself um i like i yeah i think about the other like structural changes or like ways like systems could be changed but i because i've been thinking about this like while we've been talking about it but like i see like you know a large like sum of money like also like just fixing all those issues but then i also see if like oh what 10 percent of the population gets like a large sum of money if there's going to be like 
a price increase for stuff if like people are like oh now i'm gonna like buy another house or i can buy a house or i can do this now does that mean like prices for stuff will start going up and does that like cheapen the amount of money you get like is would there be like a a price hike or even like racist white people be like now nah, i'm gonna charge a thousand percent for this thing or whatever right because we like to your point where i feel like even if we get you know a massive amount of money is still existing in like a racist system yeah um so it's like how do you use like it, that money to get out like of vacuum. it yeah like even with if you get a certain amount of money you're still operating with a with racist banks that are constantly being sued for racism you're still operating within racist hoas like all of that stuff needs to be accounted for. Yeah, so I think about, because I go back, then I go back to the idea of, like, sovereignty and black sovereignty and, like, the idea of, like, that protection from, like, white invaders. Because mm-hmm. I feel like even in, like, um, in the past with, like, black successful thriving communities, they were just, like, destroyed. Rosewood. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were destroyed and burned out. So it was, like, even also. in these places that had, like, um, growth and development they couldn't like protect themselves from this like exterior like white world I mm-hmm. even think of like Haiti which mm-hmm. could have been this like bastion of this like black republic but was like crippled by like yeah. the United States by France by um, Britain for like you know for so long the United States owns like the bank of Haiti you know like how can like another nation own your national bank mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that then it still goes back to like sovereignty but like I don't even know what like black sovereignty looks like because even in Africa it's being like picked apart to this day by European nations by China like um, by like rival factions it's like what what is that place um, where like could money lead to some type of like black sovereign existence I was like I don't know because like that seems to be the ultimate like or not the ultimate but like what the solution would be for like protection is to like you know be outside of any like white oversee overseer white um larger existence i don't yeah. know yeah yeah i mean for me it, it like it it has to come down across the board with corporations i think it starts there you got you we need accountability for the homeowners associations we need accountability for the bank systems like all those corporations Someone needs to do research and crunch some numbers and find out how much they owe. It wouldn't be that hard. It really wouldn't. Um, like, I know people who have, like, been, like, doing research on their own family histories for, like, years, and they were able to find things. Um, as hard as they've tried to obscure histories, it's still there. It's still, like, something that you can find. And, like, there's a clear, a clear path of research for, like, property issues with redlining and the HOA, that would be really easy to find and research. Mm-hmm. And it would, I don't think it would be hard for them to come up with a number um, and like cross-reference that with like all of these neighborhoods, these suburban neighborhoods that have like run black people out, murdered black people, like they can come up with something there. But then also another thing I think about with reparations is like the, the violence, um, and the anti-blackness and the brutality didn't happen in a vacuum. Like other communities were also, you know, hurt as well. And I think that we have to think critically about like how those histories exist within our histories too, and like what can be done there. Like I always get a little weird when we start talking about land trusts for black people because like this land doesn't belong to us either. I know you have feelings about this. I get that. But like it's complicated. 
in that way, right? Yeah, a, a, a thousand percent. Um, I think, you know, because I, I feel like we always go back to the idea that, like, the the American state has to, like, dissolve in order for, like, yeah. the, the people that have suffered from America to to be free of the yoke. Um, but I, I think, again, with the idea of, like, land trust, I think there is this, like, white European myth that there, you know, of uh, what is it, like, isolationism, where most of the world didn't exist in contact with itself until Europe started connecting all the world. Yeah. Um, but that's, like, proven time and time again to be untrue. Yeah. That um, people in Asia were, like, sailing all over the place. People in Africa were sailing to the Americas and sailing all over the world. The people in the Americas were sailing all over. Like, the whole world was in communication with itself, just not dirty butt Europe. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, you know, there's, it seems there's, as, as we're finding it out again, it's like, you know, archaeologists and stuff that's still like, um, you know, operating under like a white supremacist system. But even then we're still like, it's all the time finding out that I was like, oh yeah, black people were in the Americas for centuries beforehand. And that there was trade between like West Africa and um, the Caribbean or like the Americas, or there was also trade on the Pacific coast, you know, throughout you know history and it's never it's never not been existing you know, like the white notion is that it all started with like um Cristobal Cologne no. but <laughs> fair that's true so i think i don't know i guess going back to the point so i think you know what is indigeneity in that in that question yeah. about like you know cuz that's still very very colorist and very racist to think about like these people looking this way are not indigenous to the land because they look this way or because they, you know, because again, being black, we can't evidence our history for so many of us because it's been erased, right. you know, not just African history, but all of our history, right? right. Um, so who's it, who's it, you know, what what is that and where is where are you drawing the line in definitions of that, I, I guess, idea? I guess it also plays into like, what is land ownership? Maybe that's a conversation, but I'm I mean, I think <laughs> getting la- derailed. Land ownership is rot. It is rot. Like, that's that's an issue um, that I'm not completely comfortable with. But, um, yeah, I guess the answer is it's complicated. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, look, it's a spectrum. <laughs> it is a spectrum. <laughs> um, you know, staying, staying on topic and stuff, uh, you mentioned your work with uh, Northwest Academy. I'm curious if you could... Um, explain a little bit about what the Northwest Academy is and what you do with the Northwest Academy. Yeah, uh, so Northwest Academy is a independent uh, school in downtown Port, I was going to say downtown Dallas, downtown <laughs> Portland, and <clears throat> it uh, is an arts-focused school, so a lot of the curriculum um, is based around artistic responses, which is, is oh my god, <laughs> That was a tongue twister, which is essentially like if you're taking a math class and you learn about algebra, then it's kind of like, you know, what are some algebraic expressions that you can do with an art? Um, And then to show your like that you understand it, you would create a piece of artwork that kind of shows what you learned. Um, And they kind of do that for each subject. And when I joined Northwest Academy in 2021 I was joining as the dean of students and yeah a lot of my uh, work there involved um, 
restorative practices and um, community building and also a lot of um, teaching of conflict resolution skills and just being able to to talk and navigate social dynamics. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So do you like kids? (laughs) (laughs) So random. Yes, I love the kiddos. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think like... (laughs) We have to cut that out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think I've been in education since like... I want to say 2013. Um, And, you know, it definitely comes with a lot of, like, ups and downs. Because I just think education in general, just like the education system is just a lot to navigate in itself. Um, But I do think, yeah, like, I enjoy being able to see the shifts or just, like, the growth or being able to be a resource or... Like, um, I don't know. It it feels good to feel like a conversation that you're having or just, like, your presence there is, like, and I don't know, making a shift. It may not be. And sometimes, like, most of the shifts that happen, you don't see until years later. Like, that happens, like, a lot of the time. Like, I think with younger younger students, or at least in my own experience, like, I've had students that have followed me on IG and they've messaged me and be like, oh, Miss Walls, like, I'm sorry we're giving you a hard time, like, I, you know, but I'm really glad that you were my art teacher, blah, 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 like, and I'm just like, oh, like, where was that energy in class? <laughs> but I got you. Um, but yeah, it's it's really nice to see. I think a lot of the reward comes, like, years later, and you don't really always expect it, but it's nice to, um, yeah, just have students reach back out. And What's just, the like, age let you know. range? It's middle school and high school. So that's uh, 12 to... 12 to 18. Yeah. Middle schoolers are the worst. Like, I... Yeah. Oh, I think... Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Middle schoolers are the worst. They are. It's just a... It's a a bad time. It's a tough time to be, like, just... There's so many... So many different things that are happening. And I think, like... Yeah... I feel like everyone is in consensus. Like middle school is definitely probably the toughest like thing mm-hmm. to navigate. Um, but you have all those new emotions. Your body starts smelling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. There's so many layers, so many layers. But yeah, um, I I was there for about two years, and um, it was definitely. That was also my, um, I was an art teacher for five years before I started into my, or I stepped into my role as dean. Mm. And it was definitely a learning process for sure. Um, I think I was really trying to create different intersections between my background as an artist and then also my interest in having conversations and restorative justice and trying to like create something that could be like an overlap between the two so in my mind I can also view this as like this is also a part of my practice and I feel like for the most part like that's that's definitely how it felt um and yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) um 
and I know that you graduated from PSU's uh, social practice art program. Mm -hmm. um, why social practice art? So honestly, I didn't even know like about the program or what social practice was um, before I started. And <clears throat> I want to say when I first started looking into the program, this was like right after I did my first installation with the black box experience and I was like you know what I really enjoyed this residency I really enjoy um, making work and creating spaces for conversations and you know asking questions and I looked up um, MFA programs in the U.S. and Artsy popped up the Artsy website and the PSU program was number four on the list and I was like okay like yeah, I'll check this out. Like, I don't really know what social practice is, but let's just see, yeah, what happens. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up visiting the program. And I want to say when I came to Portland, it was definitely during a sunny season. And I was definitely under the impression of like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be nice weather. Like, oh, it's okay. Like, if it rains every once in a while, that's fine. <laughs> like, I think also, too, during that time, or not during that time, I'm a huge Twilight fan. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> Lola, I know, like, I'm sorry. When it came out in high school, I was like, this is, yeah. But anyways, that's all to say. Um, my, <clears throat> brother, my brother had told me around that time, like, oh, you'll love it because you love Twilight. <laughs> I'm like, you're right, you're right. <sighs> yeah, I think um, I did not recognize how often it actually rains and how often it is very gloomy. I'm like okay anyways um yeah that's how I found out about it and I I think after I um started the program and started to learn more of like the philosophy or just like the what this actually looks like in practice social practice I was just like oh wow like it, it just kind of opened up everything for me like mm -hmm. it opened up my mind more about like what I can claim what I can create um and I felt like shifting from more of like a personal practice to like a communal practice, it made sense to learn how to practice in communities. Yeah. Um, and yeah. You know the Cullen's houses in Portland? I do, and I haven't been yet, but I really want to go. I actually <laughs> didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Is what? It by, oh, is oh. it called the Cullen's house? I don't think so. Okay. No, it's by, um, it's by, like, a park or, or like, never mind. Yeah, I've never been there, but I just know that. You sure you haven't been there? I haven't been there. Wait, I, I have to ask, um, Edward or Jacob? Oh, Edward. Edward, all the way. <laughs> okay. All yes. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sound disappointed, Melanie. <laughs> Wait, what about you, Edward or Jacob? Jacob was less drama. I'm just gonna say it. He was less drama. He was so drama. He was so he dramatic. Was not. He's like Bella. I, don't want to do it. <laughs> I just love you, Bella. Edward wanted to kill her when they first met. And then Jacob it, impressed, imprisoned on her daughter or whatever. Ooh, that's okay, true. that was weird. Imprinted. That's true. That's that's true. I mean, that notwithstanding. Then Edward's like, just, say it. You're a vampire. He's like, I'm 17, but how long have I been 17? <laughs> In hindsight, it's a little, there's a lot to unpack there. A little bit. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Um, yes, congratulations on your uh, PSU Art and Social Practice degree. Um, how was, yeah, you talked a little bit about, like, how it opened up your art and some of your projects. But, yeah, like, how was the experience and stuff for you? So, I think, like, my first year, which was, like, a remote year, was probably one of the best years I had because I think just proximity-wise, it was just... I would go to class, I would have my experiences or my directed studies, and that's kind of like all there was. Mm. And I think when I moved to Portland, and I don't know, there were just a lot of different experiences um, that came up that definitely informed um, a lot of disappointing feelings. And I think overall, like, yes, I, I do feel like I'm a master of fine arts and social practice. You know, I, I, I understand what this looks like. And that's all I'm getting. That's it. Like, that's, you know, I, I feel like I've, like, I don't know. Um, damn, that sounds so negative. I'm sorry. Do you want people to call you a master of fine arts? Stop. No, no they can. <laughs> no, they can call me Kira. <laughs> Do you feel that having, okay, do you feel that having the degree has granted you a certain level of access and privilege that you didn't have before? You know what? I feel like people will try to sit, sit up here and say yes. And I think like, yes, <laughs> but also too, I think um, I don't want to rely so much on the paper as like my ability to enter into different spaces or like kind of lean on that like I would I would love to lean more on like the contents that I was able to create out of this space Mm. and I do think like yeah like when people see that you have an MFA like that's kind of like the ticket to get you into like some spaces or doors you know but I feel like um I don't want to lead with that like I would prefer for my work to I don't know be the entry point into these spaces and I think that also kind of makes me think about too like the types of types of spaces that I'm entering into as well I would hope that they care more about the work that I'm doing rather than like my you know this this paper um and I think that makes me think about like just being more mindful of like different spaces that I'm like inhabiting like I just want to make sure that there's like I don't know like you respect you respect me as an artist like and like what I do and like who I am as a person rather than like what it looks like to have me like in this residency or like it you know what I mean like let the work speak for itself yeah yeah that's what money is all about period (laughs) what you said money I said Melanie Melody (laughs) still period (laughs) Um, you got the Precipice Grant. Congratulations on that. What was that for? So this was for uh, my kitchen. My <laughs> This was for my project called Kitchen. And essentially it's about um, the relationship between natural hairstylists and clients. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like when I was doing the Black Box projects, like I'm in the, f- I want to say I'm in the fifth or a sixth year of this project, I was, I've been really wanting to branch out and do other things because I feel like a lot of my like practice has been so tied to this project. And like, I love this project, but I'm also ready to like, see like, okay, 
<clears throat> what does healing look like in different forms? Like, mm-hmm. is there a way to create other projects that still have similar themes to this project, but not not necessarily like the same like contents? Um, so I started thinking about like, well, what are some interests that I have already that I can, you know, just focus in on that? And it's doing hair and also being able to do people's hair. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I have done my brother's hair a lot and I feel like (laughs) that has also helped us bond better just as siblings and being able to do my friend's hair, being able to do my mom's hair, my sister's hair. It definitely feels like an intimate experience because it's like you're trusting this person with like a part of yourself that is also connected to your identity as well. And I think I really wanted to capture like what, what is that feeling like why do we feel this way and how can I communicate that visually um so essentially it's going to be um kind of mix a mix between like a art performance video document style or not document style but like interview style um type of like thing and I think um yeah, I'm just, I'm really interested, like, I've been looking at other artists that have been um, focusing on hair, like, David Hammond, and, like, Sonia Clark, and um, they're, they're more so using hair as, like, a tactile, like, a medium in itself, and I'm really interested in, like, the styling of the hair, or what happens when you're styling someone's hair, and the type of feelings that come up for people, um, or the memories, and being able to create that into a visual um so it also kind of brings a level of awareness to people when they watch it and then they start thinking about like hmm what type of relationship do I have with someone that does my hair or like what have I felt before when someone's doing my hair um so yeah that's one part of it and then the other part is a zine and it's essentially going to kind of capture some of the visuals in there and then also just some of the conversations that are had and then it's going to be um, housed in a, it's going to be housed in Mid-K Beauty Supply on. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So what, will the, will the zine be for sale? No, it'll oh. just be for free. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, it'll be for free. Yeah. You complete 180, Melanie. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, um, yeah. So like, um, when, what's the timeline on that? For sure. Well, we have a December deadline. Okay. So right now um, we're gonna start shooting over the summer, and then I'm gonna be working with Paula De La Cruz. Oh, yeah. I love their work. I do too, and I'm so excited to be working with them. Yeah. Um, and they're gonna we're gonna collaborate on the zine portion. Yeah. And then yeah, it's gonna be. So if you've been to Mid K, they kind of have like a. I've been to Mid K. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, they have like a table right near the entrance that has like different pamphlets or just like different community like things. Yeah. And yeah, the zine's going to go there. And then that was so nice of them to agree to that. Yeah. I just like asked them one day when I was buying some hair, I was like, can I <laughs> put my magazine here? They're like, yeah. I'm like, cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the zine will be there. And then there will be a QR code on the back of the zine where you can watch the film but i'm also thinking about screening possibilities too mm-hmm. and possibly maybe doing this at like a hair salon yeah. one of the hair salons out here or people that are part of the video yeah. um but yeah cool i'm curious because like you know there is a way um 
that the hair of black women is heavily politicized. Obviously, I know about this. Obviously, I'm privy to this. Um, and I'm curious, is that something that you tackle in this as well? Like the politicization of black hair, texturism, that sort of thing that goes on within like the community? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely something that we're going to explore as well. And I think it will come up in conversations that are had. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also, too, around like some of the memories that are activated when we start working in the project. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to recognize the political context in Portland, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea is to talk to different hairstylists that have been out here or that have started their businesses out here. Um, because also, too, like <clears throat> one of the first things that came to mind when I was like, oh, man, I'm moving to Portland was like, who's going to do my hair? Like, I totally thought about that. That's when I decided to go natural. Because yeah, me too. I was just like, dang, like, I don't know who's going to do my hair. Like, I, I need to, like, that's a, that was a big thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think like, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, actually, let me not say that. There are places to get your hair done out here. I just think it's not as like accessible as it would be if you were in a place that was predominantly BIPOC. And yeah, yeah I, I think that's a real thing though. And like, me and my girlfriends always talk about it too, like getting our hair done places or just the the friction that happens when it comes time to like seek out people to do your hair and then yeah. building a trustworthy relationship to, you know, continue that too. Um, so yeah, I think, I think in the video, we're definitely going to tackle some things and there's going to be some layering and un unlayering, um, but I'm really interested in... <clears throat> trying to approach it in a way where it can capture like the essence of the relationship yeah. between yeah people that do your hair like so yeah it's I think it's going to be a little experimental as well yeah. um but I'm like leaning into it because I think you know I'm yeah that's the, exciting yeah yeah I'm, I'm really excited um yeah. this is my first project outside of black box experience so I feel good. Um, so you like to take on the easy topics, is what you're saying. <laughs> you know what? I was who was I talking to the other day? Oh, I was talking to I was talking to my class, my former classmate Jilly, um, this morning over coffee, and I was telling them like I've noticed that I like to work like in long sessions. Like it might take me a year to complete a project, yeah. versus to like doing something like back to back to back. I think the way in which I work and the way my, my mind works is I really want to understand something and that takes time for me to do. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, just saying like, okay, my next project, it's like a year in the making. So I'm excited. Yeah. yeah the project sounds really cool. Um, congratulations again on the press of his. Thank you. Um, you kind of answered what's next a little bit, but, uh, what like art are you getting into these days or like what's inspiring you currently hmm. i think um what's inspiring me hmm. i think excuse me <clears throat> i hope that you didn't pick that up um i think the people that are around me are inspiring me i think lately like since i've been out of school for these last couple of weeks I've had a lot more time to connect with people more and ask them about like what they're doing within their practices or what they've been thinking about and I think those conversations have been very fulfilling 
and I think it's always really interesting to me to hear about how people are approaching their work and practice. Um, I think this also, like, I don't know, questions come up for me, too. Like, when I think people talk about what they're working on or what they're interested in working on. Um, So, yeah, I've been finding inspiration from the people around me. Um, And I think I'm going to lean more into that, too, because I think it's one thing to, like, you know, we have artists that are informing our work, but how is it, you know, what inspiration are we getting from, like, those in our community that we can talk to, that we can call up on the phone? Like, I think that's, I don't know, it makes me think of, um, is it, like, a horizontal understanding? Hmm. Horizontal understanding. Horizontal, I'm thinking of this thing that Issa Rae was talking about, and she said vertical network, not vertical networking, horizontal, lateral. lateral. <laughs> I think she said lateral or like horizontal networking where you like network across rather than up. Within your community, like people who are basically yeah. in the same place as you. Exactly. Yeah. But I think um, for me, when I think of like research and different ways of gathering information or inspiration, it's like a lateral lateral points of connections being made rather than upward. But I mean, I also do that too, but I think right now I'm in a season of like, what can I learn from my, from my people like that are around me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, you are fairly new to Portland um, and you talked a little bit about this, but like overall, like, with a few years behind you, how do you feel about Portland now? So I really enjoy it. I think um, and when I say I enjoy it, I think it's also like the context of like summertime, summer 2016. Okay. Like I'm feeling the vibes right now. <laughs> um, but I think last year, like it was a really like tough year because I didn't really know too many people. And I was coming into a space where This is the first time where I've lived in um, like a geographical area that is like predominantly white. Mm. Um, I've always grown up in spaces that, you know, I've I've seen my identity reflected and it was it was like a culture shock, to be honest. Um, And I think like as I've gone into this year, I've been more intentional about creating more community Mm. and trying to like be in more spaces where my identity is reflected and that has really contributed tremendously to my mental health um and yeah I think now that I I have more of a sense of community I do feel like okay like it feels more like comfortable rather than I mean there are definitely times where I don't feel comfortable at all but I think now like I have a community to lean on, and that feels good. Yeah. Yeah. How do y'all like Portland? I mean, the same, yeah. yeah. Like, because I'm originally from Atlanta, so coming here was, you know, a lot. Yeah. But once you locate community, it's pretty smooth, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I kind of, what I appreciate about Portland is, like, there's such a strong, like, community of like black artists here um Mm -hmm. that i never had in atlanta um that i really appreciate so 
feel like this, you have to be more intentional like out here and that that definitely benefits like our community because mm-hmm. there are really strong bonds and I think it's also accessible too. Like people are wanting to find more people in the community or create those connections. Yeah. 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 What about you? Do you like Portland? Um, yeah, Portland's all right. Um. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, yeah, that's right. It's cool. That's okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, the people in Portland are cool. Like um, Melanie was saying, like you were saying, um, yeah, like the communities you can meet here are cool. Um, so that could be a potentially redeeming thing. Yeah. about this town. <laughs> I mean, I feel like your your eye was recently turned by another um, very well-known city. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've always, you know, <laughs> had eyes for things. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. I will say, in terms of um, belief systems... Um, there are part, and I was talking to someone else about this, like, yes, in Atlanta, it was great because it was just all black people. So like, I didn't have to think about blackness. Like it was just the default. It was the norm kind of the way white people think of themselves here, I guess. Um, but like (laughs) there were other parts of my identity that I did have to repress because it was the South, because that part of the country does lean more conservative in ways that I was never quite comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to deal with that in Portland. And that has been really nice too. So there are parts of me that feel like I can be more of who I am here. Um, so I think that's an interesting dichotomy that I have to deal with. No, that, I mean, I totally get that. Um, I think <clears throat> when I moved here, I was like, oh, this is like a very, like, I don't know. It, it, feels like you could really be yourself here and people are very big on that and it's like it feels like a genuine like I don't know a genuine feeling like not having to like I don't know I I feel you on that it feels a lot more comfortable Mm -hmm. I think um I think also too when I when I first uh touched down here I don't know who I was. I think I was talking to somebody at the airport or at a rental car place, but something that they told me was like, yeah, so this is actually like a very passive aggressive um, space. Like, or just like, have you heard that before? I have. Yeah. Have you heard that? Okay. I didn't really know like what that looked like in practice before I moved here. And I was like, okay, I can see that. And I think I've definitely have felt it before. Um, but I think like, I don't know, it's just really interesting. I think people that first move here too, that's something that comes up a lot as well. Just like, yeah. just the, the act of it. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. You can cut that part out too. <laughs> <laughs> I will say in the South, it's a lot more overt and I appreciate that. But also like there's this culture of etiquette that's mm-hmm. super annoying too because there's like this belief that you have to act a certain way like you know behave a certain way and then meanwhile people are talking all kinds of dirt behind your back mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. like there is a lot more directness in a way there oh in the south there. in the south yeah. like even though they have this etiquette like they will let you know that they don't like you like it's overt yeah and i appreciate yeah. that they don't have that here. That's annoying. 
So, <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I think being in Texas, I I understand. Yeah, you know for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But they'll be polite about it. But they will oh. tell you they don't like you. I don't know. Maybe not in Texas, though, because they, okay. they kind of... <laughs> Yeah. So Max, you can speak to that. You're from Texas. You're from Texas? What part? Dallas. I thought we talked about this. We did talk about <laughs> it. I have the most horrible memory. Like, my short-term memory is not... I try not to derail the interview by bringing up a bunch of Dallas stuff. So I was like, all right, let's, let's stay on topic. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I've asked all my questions. Huh? I've asked all my questions. I've asked all my questions, so... I Are you going to do time your for segments? Yeah. You're going to do your segment. Yeah. So now it's time for Sealy's glass of water. Um, a segment um, for people who are doing the most with the least. Um, <laughs> oh, Mr. Talking Trash about Shug. Folks don't like nobody being too proud or too free. No more than a juke joint Jezebel. And this happened yesterday, and I feel compelled to talk about it, even though I haven't done this segment in a while. So yesterday, um, in the morning, I get on Twitter, you know, just scrolling through, and I see this cute little video of Kiki Palmer dancing with Usher and, like, acting like a schoolgirl with a crush. It was delightful. It was adorable. I thought nothing of it. I retweeted it, and then I left. I come back a few hours later, and black Twitter is on fire because Kiki Palmer's partner decided to get um, on this public platform and berate her in front of everyone for how she dressed. So, first of all, I just learned his name was Darius. I didn't know who he was before that. (laughs) Didn't care, still don't care. Um, But he tweeted originally um, over the video, um, which he retweeted, it's the outfit though. Ellipses, you a mom. Shaking my head. That's right, shaking my head. Um, And then a few hours later, after Black Twitter started to do research, um, (laughs) the Black Twitter Investigative Bureau Division, um, (laughs) and found out who he was, um, he doubled down a few hours later and tweeted, we live in a generation where a man of the family doesn't want the wife and mother to his kids to showcase booty cheeks to please others, and he gets told how much of a hater he is. You know what's wild? (laughs) (laughs) You use the word wife, but you haven't done what needs to be done. Oh, I'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) First of all, um, I want to address him talking about what she's wearing. Um, That's subjective, whatever. But it's obvious from the video that that's not what was bothering him. What was bothering him was her reaction to Usher. Like, if you're gonna be like a jerk about it, be real about the reasons why you're being a jerk. He he was looking for an excuse to berate her. Mm -hmm. Um, Second of all, I wanna address the whole um, man of the family, wife and mother to his kids. Um, So he's talking about tradition or whatnot. He is not married to that woman. Um, They had a child out of wedlock. Um, She is the breadwinner of that family. That part. Um, So no part of your life is traditional. Okay? 
So falling back on patriarchy to make your point is just really stupid. Um, a lot of the what Black Twitter was roasting him about was him being a stay-at-home boyfriend and knowing his place. I'm not going to take that um, particular argument, although it's hilarious, mm -hmm. um, because I don't necessarily think that someone should not say what's bothering them um, if they're the stay-at-home whatever. Like, I don't think the money necessarily positions the person in power. Like, I think that is a covenant that happens between two people in a relationship where they decide what their roles are. That's fine. My problem is he took to Twitter streets to make this woman look bad. Like, this was not about him addressing something that bothered bothering him and having it be resolved. This was about embarrassing her in mm -hmm. front of a public platform and making her feel bad. Yeah. Um, that is not okay. And he deserved the roasting that he got. But now people are looking in his Twitter past and finding all these anti-black, transphobic, homophobic things that he said. And now she looks bad by association. So he's messing up her money. It's all terrible. He could have just stayed at home and ate his food and shut up. Like, there was no reason to do this. Um, he's a tiny little person. And he, like... He completely just should have stayed in his lane. Like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Maybe Stedman and Ta and like, you know, they need to give workshops on how to behave. Like Dolly Parton's husband. Yes, also. Like you never hear from these men. There's a reason for that because they know where they stand. Like, don't embarrass me in public. Don't mess with my money. These should be simple things. Like. And it came out that the only job that he has is like some marketing thing for like a website or a show that she produces. So he's literally on her payroll. Wow. He got a lot of nerve. He could have just said nothing. At that point. Shutting up is always an option. I think that's the lesson here. So like now she looks suspect for being with this person. Like. And, like, that's a whole other conversation. We can discuss how people's desirability politics rarely merge with their public politics, but that, whatever. Like, she is, like, she has been a beloved figure, and now he's just, like, sh this is embarrassing. Like, there was no reason for this. There was absolutely no reason for this, and he should have known that no good would have come of this. There's no side of this where he would have come out un unscathed. So, so that just lets me know he's an idiot as well. So to him, I say, um, disable your Twitter account, um, and you need to have a long conversation with your partner about this, um, and get in line. And that's it. Period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Parting words? Parting words. Okay, so I would like to thank Kira for stopping by NTP Studios and telling her, telling us about her her amazing work. I look forward to seeing some of this work in person, um, especially the free zine. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Not just because it's free, but like the subject matter, Max. You're excited about the publication? Yes, yeah. I love publications about blackness. So, and free ones. <laughs> shut up, Max. Um, so thank you, Kara. Um, once again, as always, thank you, Max, um, for you know setting all the things up and for inviting Kara. Um, and thank you, listeners, for 
you know, all five of you for listening to our little podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, echoing Melanie. Um, thank you to our guest. Thank you, Kira. Um, thank you, Melanie. Um, thank you to our listeners. I know there's more than five. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a good conversation. Good crack. Um, it's warm. I'm ready. I'm ready to, to cool down. So. Um, but yeah, it was a good, it was a good fun. Um, thank you. Thank you for being here. And, uh, as always, we will give you the final parting words. <laughs> um, thank y'all so much. I so appreciate being a guest on your podcast. It was a really fun and enlightening and it was, it was overall a great experience. Definitely recommend. Um, yeah, it was, it was great talking to y'all. Um, I feel like I've learned so much in just our conversation and Aww. yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Bye y'all. Bye. Bye. Oh, it is kind of toasty. <laughs> it is. I'm like, I can feel this.